It's the 1st of October, isn't it, right? And so we don't, I don't always have a sermon title for my sermons, but today I do, uh, which is awesome, isn't it? And this, I've, the sermon title I thought of, because um, we were at the Limmer's house for dinner last night and Nicole was there, and I thought, I'm dedicating this sermon title to you, Nicole. Is that all right? So the sermon title today is this, Oh Christmas Tree, Oh Christmas Tree. Is that all right? Because uh, if you know Nicole, you know that she's been preparing for Christmas now uh, for nine months. Uh, and uh, it's a pretty standard, standard preparation time for all year. And uh, so, oh, Christmas, everyone say, oh, Christmas tree. Uh, let's sing it together, eh? Come on, on the, come on, the basses. I expect more from you guys. Come on, pull out. Oh, Christmas tree, oh. Cool. Just so you just for the sake of uh, for the sake of education, the words are "How lovely are your branches?" What? Are, who are you? What is this? You're supposed to be the most educated group I ever speak to. Right? Uh, Christmas tree, Christmas tree. How lovely are you? Then the terrible melody branches. Yeah. Anyway, a Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. How lovely are your branches? So we're going to be talking later on in the sermon about Christmas trees. But anyhow. Um, how many people have heard this statement? Uh, it's a statement made about sports people, perhaps, or maybe when you're at, at your work leaving do, someone might say this about you, right? So they might say, oh, Tim, he's phenomenal. Uh, you know, he always gives 110%. Have you heard that statement? He always gives 100 Ah, oh, you know, oh, putty, he's, a, he's a real good rooster. He always gives 110%. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever heard that statement? It's a really, it's a classic. Have you ever heard that statement and just thought to yourself, "No, it's not really, not really possible." Do you know what I mean? Actually, not possible to give one hundred and ten percent. In fact, it's one of those, it's one of the very stupid things that we get away with saying all of the time, isn't it? Uh, it's not the only stupid thing that is sort of a normal thing to say, right? But it's definitely one of them. Oh, so and so, he's such a good fella. He always gives one hundred and ten percent. We know that it's not possible to give one hundred and ten percent, right? Right? Do you know? I don't think, I'm just, I've been I've in preparing the sermon and thinking about this introduction. I was just pondering. I can't think of a time where I've actually given 100%. <laughs> really, really, truly, not for a sustained period. Do you know what I mean? I might have really focused for 30 or 40 seconds at a time. But really, like for a whole game of sports, I'd never give 100%, right? Because if you did, that you'd just have to be carried off. At the end, if you actually, if you actually gave a hundred percent, right? But what we say normally, what we're saying is they gave a hundred percent within sort of reason, within reasonable bounds. They gave a hundred percent. It was probably around seventy-five, but more than seventy-five becomes an unreasonable sort of giving, right? It's sort of overdoing it, right? So when we say one hundred percent, oh, they gave it one hundred percent. What we normally mean is they did okay. They did a good job. They did it right, right? But it makes me wonder, do I need to try harder? Don't, that's a rhetorical question. Don't answer. Tim's like, mm, yes, obviously. <laughs> do I need to try harder? How many of you have ever thought, maybe I need to try harder? Give me a show of hands. How many of you have ever thought, your husband, you think of your husband, they need to try harder? Ladies, put your hand down, Christine. Either. 
Hey, you ever thought of somebody else in your workplace? One of your, maybe one of your colleagues has the same job as you, but does a rubbish job, right? And you think to yourself, they really should try harder. Anybody? How many think your colleagues may be thinking that of you? Now, the, re- <laughs> the reality is there's this sort of thing in life where we're looking for more a lot of the time. There's this progression that we're looking for, right? We, we want to get promoted in our job. Next time you have your annual review, you don't want to be demoted, do you? That's not your objective, right? You don't want to be fired. You don't want to be off down the road, Doug. What you, what you want in your, in your review is for someone to say, you're doing a good job, you're producing results, and we want to move you forward, right? Right? And we, and we sort of have that vaguely in our world, don't we? And then, then all of our different personalities come into play, right? So all of our different you know, personality types, all the A-type personalities, they think about that every day, right? <laughs> the sanguines like myself, we think about that on a month-by-month type of basis. It comes across our mind, right? When we're not busy doing other things, right? We suddenly, oh, I need to move forward with what I'm doing, Right? Uh, all, of our, all, all of us have got these different approaches. We've got this different idea of what even progression looks like, what results looks like, right? And the reality is in our life, we've got this sort of idea that we've got to get more done, right? We've got to make some stuff happen, happen right? I've been watching, how, uh, if you have Netflix, there's a really cool series called um, Abstract, which is about uh, a lot of like, leading designers in different areas, and it's just interesting. Uh, it's all designy, uh, so it's quite interesting. There's an illustrator guy who starts it, who's awesome, and uh, uh, architects. There's a, a graphic designer from New York who's awesome. I just watched that one last night. A, a guy who designs cars. It's, it's awesome, just looking at their process and how they and and all of them are like extraordinary, extraordinary people, right? Um, and, and like the guy who's the architect dude is a, a guy from Copenhagen, and he's designing huge. Uh, huge projects all around the world now, and he's about 45 years old. That's like phenomenal. Multi-million dollar, you know, 400 dwelling units and developments and stuff like that in really significant places like, uh, you know, parks in New York and all this sort of stuff. It's just like he's a phenomenal. He's got the, he's had these extraordinary results, right? And you just look at it and you think, wow, this is extraordinary. The guy that is a car designer guy is, is, is also in his mid-40s and is the global CEO of design for Fiat Chrysler. So he leads the design process for 40 brands of car. Right? <laughs> so all, you know, Fiat and you know, all the Fiat brands, all the Chrysler brands, all, he leads all the design teams, right? And he's like 45 years. And you think, wow, wouldn't it be amazing in my life to have extraordinary results? Right, so it comes back to my other thought. Maybe I need to lift my output from a from a casual fifty percent C's get degrees type approach to life, and maybe I need to push towards a hundred percent or even an all black style hundred and ten percent effort to get the results that I'm looking for. And the funny thing is, I've got a sneaking suspicion that if I try harder, I'll just get more of the same results rather than extraordinary results. And I want to put to you this morning, and it's my understanding from the New Testament, that what we need to do is we need to engage faith in what we do rather than just do more in life if we want to see some sort of extraordinary result. 
Now, I believe that my, the reason I'm on earth is to lead a transformational movement for change that has an impact in the culture of New Zealand in my grandchildren's children's time. Right? That's why I'm here. I want to see something happen in the way New Zealand operates that's still measurable a hundred years after today, right? That's what William Booth did. That's the sort of result I want to see out of the out of this sermon this morning. A result in your life that has an impact in other lives that makes a transformation in our culture a hundred years from now. How many know I can't work that hard? There's no amount of effort that's gonna allow me to achieve that dream. Right? Which is why it was stupid for me to write that down one day anyway, wasn't it? Why would you even write down a dream like that? Why? Because it was a moment of faith that said, come on, if I'm going to preach a sermon, what am, I, what am I expecting from it? If I'm going to stop being a school teacher and start being a pastor, why would I do that? Well, it's because I believe that God's positioned me in this role because it gives me a greater voice, a greater space for His voice to come out of my life and have an impact in the way the nation works, Right? Okay, I'm just slowing down again. I've been getting fast. Sorry, Dory, I've been going too fast. Yeah, yeah, just wave your hand like that if it's too fast. fast. Very good. Okay, so everybody, think about this. We think, we think the Bible says things like this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that this power is from God and not from us. Right, we know that, that Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always. We know that in Revelation, that there's a whole new heaven and a whole new earth, right? That the work of the church in the world creates a whole new heavens and a whole new earth. God, God creates this thing and brings it down. There's this redemption of all things, right? But Ephesians says that God's bringing all things together under Christ, right? So we know that extraordinary results are the standard expectation in a Christian life. Extraordinary results, right? But we also know in our Christian, our Christianized thing that it's never going to be about working harder, right? Because that, that was what the Old Testament was all about. If we can work really, really hard, we'll get really good results, right? And then, then the whole point of the Old Testament is you can read how hard you can work, right? How, how, how focused a nation could become, right? And then the results that they were achieved were less than, less than perfect, right? If you haven't read the Old Testament, that's what it's about. It's about God calls the people unto himself, and then through their own effort, he, he shows us what's possible, which is not much, right? And then the New Testament is about what's possible as the Holy Spirit empowers us to achieve what God's called us to do, right? So in Putty's job, Putty works in corrections. He works with uh, helping people, right? Putty could try harder, and I think Putty should always try harder. We, should, we can always try harder. But if we can engage faith, if we can exercise the presence of God in what we're doing, we can believe for extraordinary results. Whether it's in our job, whether it's in our role as a husband or a father, whether it's in our university studies, we should be believing for extraordinary results. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. So, um, so John, I preached about the about spiritual gifts la two weeks ago. I preached last week about the anointing of God. Three weeks ago, I preached about the parable of the talents. How we're called to leverage the bags of gold that God gives us in our world, right? And to believe to, for that develop for us to grow in faith. Is that cool? Very good. Yeah. And so this morning. I just want to talk a little more. I've got like four points or five, uh, just about how do we how do we work with the gift of God in our world? How do we take the the, the presence of God, the power of God, His power and His presence always together, and we should we should value His presence first, 
right? Because his, his power comes with his presence, right? But, his, but if we just, after his power, we don't get either, right? We, we want his presence and his power at work in and through our lives, right? And the first thing is, this, is from, from, from Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's these descriptions of the gifts and how they work. Also in Ephesians chapter 4, talks about some other gifts and how they work. The first point, I want you to write this down, is that if you have a gift, you should give it. <laughs> right? If you have a gift, you should give it. So... <laughs> Because I think sometimes we think about gifts wrong, right? So we think, so if Dougal come over here, Dougal, like, so, and let's say Dougal is, is, is Christian man, Dougal, Dougal, Christian man, and I'll be Jesus, and I give Dougal, let's say I give Dougal the gift of encouragement. Here, Dougal, here's the gift of encouragement, right? So Dougal has the gift of encouragement, right? Who's it for? Now, if, 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 God wanted Dougal just to be encouraged. He wouldn't give the gift of encouragement to Dougal. He would have given the gift of encouragement to Tim. So stand up, him. Tim's Dougal's Christian friend, so Christian man and Christian friend. So, so if God wants to encourage Tim, he gives the gift of encouragement to Dougal, right? But when is it powerful? When is it worth anything? When is it awesome? It's only awesome as Dougal gives it. See, look how powerful that is. That's amazing. That's a phenomenal impact. But the reality is, thank you guys, thank you guys. The reality is, so often we think about it, what God's given us, what God's put into us, whether it's a financial blessing, whether it's opportunity, and we think, wow, how awesome is this thing that I've got? Maybe the ability to prophesy, the ability to speak in tongues, the ability to do miracles. God gives us these things, right? And we think, wow, that's awesome. But it's not. It's not awesome. It's not awesome to have a whole lot of gifts under a Christmas tree. It's awesome to open them. Right? It's not awesome. Like, it's just, it's just sort of exciting to have them there under the tree. But they're only awesome when you open them up and you can get them. I can remember one Christmas, my parents got me a surfboard. And I found it in the trade and exchange, which was a paper version of Trade Me, where s stolen stuff got sold. And I found it on the trade and exchange, the surfboard. And so we bought it. In, in like July, it was a long six months because my mum's like, I know you can't use it on Christmas, right? But it wasn't awesome to have the surfboard. It was awesome to actually, to actually receive the gift, right? So if you've got a gift, you should give it. Everyone say, give it. And you should give it heaps, right? Give it and give it heaps. Here's two scriptures for you. This is the first one, some ancient wisdom from Proverbs 18, and it says this. Have we got it, Marky? There it is. Hmm. Okay. If I could just... Apologies. Verse 16 says... Uh, <laughs> 18, 16. I apologize for that, Mark. I've seen you the wrong way. It says this. It says, a man's gift, a man's gift will make room for him and will open doors. So will open doors make room for him and open weight into like in, before kings. Will position him before kings. So a person's gift, because it's ancient wisdom, is what it says, man, but a person's gift will make room for them and it will put their, it will position them before kings. And it's speaking of like the ancient idea of of an ambassador going from country to country, the ambassador would arrive with a gift, and because they had a gift to present, they would be opened, ushered into the throne room of whatever the king was, and they'd be able to present that gift. 
Now, here's the reality. Trying hard doesn't open, won't open doors for you. Now, you have to try hard, full stop. You have to do a good job. But you don't do a good job to open doors. Your gift is what will open doors. And doing a good job is just what you should do to feel good about yourself at the end of the day. Right? I've got to do a good job, but I've, I've got to engage faith around my gift. Right? So when, when you're in a business meeting this week, do a good job. Turn up on time. Take notes about what's going on. Have your own reports prepared. All that. Do a good job. But it's your gift that's going to position you for influence in that workplace. So it's bringing the gift with it. It's a gift of prophecy or a gift of word of knowledge. So my dad sold computers in the 1980s, right, before he knew what computers were or anybody else knew what computers were, right? So to sell them was a special gift, right? Previous unto that, he was a primary school teacher, and then he'd worked managing a building timber yard, right? And he's super, super, my dad's super shy, super, super shy. I'm, I don't take after him at all. He's organized, he's shy, right? I don't take after him, but right. So he would, all he would do is he'd sit in the foyer of the places he was visiting, the business he was visiting, and he'd pray, God, give me a word of knowledge so I can understand what the client wants and be able to present a, the product that they need, right? So in 1987, he'd paid off his mortgage. Why? Because he worked really hard. He, I guarantee you he worked really hard. He's from Western Southland. He works really hard, right? He's, no, he's got no option to work really hard. But the reality is it was, a gift, it was the gift that opened the door. Because everyone else is working hard too. But it was the gift that opened the door. Everyone say, give it heaps. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Have you got that one, Mark? Or, or 10.13, whatever. It doesn't matter. 10.31, here it goes, says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if we're doing it for the glory of God, let's give it heaps. Like if we're going to do it, let's do it large. Is that all right? So here's a lift to some of the gifts that are identified in the New Testament as gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? So first is prophecy, then serving. Did you know serving is a gift of the Holy Spirit? It's not just something that has to be done. It's, a, it's an expression of the Holy Spirit. A teacher, encouragement, leadership, mercy or kindness, uh, wisdom, a word of knowledge, special gifts of faith, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of discernment, the gift of tongues, the gift of the interpretation of tongues, right? I don't know if that was, they had that one first, but they did tongues and they're like, oh, we need another one, the interpretation of tongues. Then there's apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. And then there's a few others that are only mentioned here or there, but they're not strongly referenced, right? But it's not really a closed list, I don't reckon. But there's, this, there's things that the New Testament points to and say, when the Holy Spirit's working through someone, people get encouraged. And people hear the voice of God. People understand the nature of the gospel. Uh, when, when the Holy Spirit's working through someone, people, people are healed. The miracles are done. When the Holy Spirit works through someone, they, they rise into a place of special faith, right? Particular faith. So we've all got faith for salvation, but sometimes the gift of the Holy Spirit is required to have faith to get that degree passed or faith for that business deal to go through or faith for that building to get built, Right? So there's these gifts of special faith that happen when the Holy Spirit's at work in us. And you can read about them. It's really easy. The spiritual gifts are really easy because they're in Romans 12 and they're in 1 Corinthians 12. It's just one of the miracles of the New Testament that they happen to get. They fall in the same number chapter, right? Romans 12 and then 1 Corinthians 12. And they both say, both of them say, come on, if your gift is to do X, do it with all you've got. With as much faith as you've got, do it. So if your gift is to prophesy, do it with as much faith as you have, right? If you've got a little bit of faith, do it a little bit, 
right? Because as you do it a little bit, if we come back to what we know from the parable of the bags of gold, if you do it a little bit, your little bit becomes a medium amount of bits, right? And if you do it with your medium bits, then your, then your medium bits become large bit, right? It doesn't work because it started with a little bit. But anyway, that good? So point number one, if we've got a gift, we should give it. Is it a gift if you don't give it? No, it's just a thing wrapped up in a box. It only becomes a gift when it's given, right? So if God's given you a gift, he didn't give it to you. He gave it through you. You're the Christmas tree. Christmas trees don't get excited about how many gifts are under. They're just thinking, how long am I going to last, right? Because <laughs> the, the gifts aren't for you. The gifts are for the people around you. Right? But you find fulfillment in your world as you start to exercise them. You find breakthrough in your world, right? Very cool. We don't honor, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, how lovely are your branches? How excited are we about Christmas trees? Come on, how excited are we about Christmas trees? Nigel's looking thrilled. He can't wait, right? But our excitement about the Christmas tree isn't how awesome the tree is. The rest of the year, they're just dirty old pine trees. We cut them down for fun. Right? But it's because, it's because of the gifts that we get excited about the tree, right? Right? Because it's our gift that makes room for us. It's God who makes room for us as He's working through us. Very, very cool. Okay. Point number two it's always about function and flow. Everyone say function. It's about gifts are about function and flow, they're not about position and power. Humanity operates around position and power. Right, And so when you look at church, it can look like position and structure and power things, right? And then we use words like pastor, and the, the, but pastor has become a position, right? But the Bible never talked about pastors or prophets or these people necessarily. Old Testament does, but in the New Testament, they're less positional and they're more functional, God gives these gifts in Ephesians for the building up of the saints. Uh, in fact, in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these are the two principal chapters in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts and their function, and they also talk about the body of Christ, right? This idea of the body of Christ is such an, a, a powerful metaphor of church, right? If you think about the awesome metaphors of church, there's seven in the book of Ephesians, and two really important ones is number one, uh, church is the army of God. Ephesians chapter 6 talk about putting on the armor of God, right? Everyone say, yeah, the army of God, right? That's where the Salvation Army get their whole, their whole vibe from, right? It's from Ephesians 6, come on, we're the army of God. And, you know, we've got Equippers Church, equipping people for life through faith in Jesus Christ. The Salvation Army got the very best marketing tagline in church history, the Salvation Army, blood and fire. It's just an awesome, right? You just know you're not dealing with people who don't know what they're on about, right? These are people who are pretty confident that they're on about something powerful, right? Blood and fire, right? So on one side, you've got the army of God. And another picture in, the, in Ephesians is that the, the church is the family of God. Everyone say family. I think you've got to put, these two metaphors have got to be pushed together nicely. I think they fit together nicely. The army of God is about a life and death commitment to an objective. That's what an army's for. That's what an army is. It's a life and death commitment to an objective, either a defensive objective or an offensive objective, right? So we're the army of God. So when we become a Christians, we make a whole life commitment to the objectives of God, that God wants to get something done in the world and we want to be part of the solution, right? 
right? And a family, though, how many people know that family is no less life and death? Right? You can think, oh, my family's just pretty chilled out, but there'll be, if you push them hard enough, it becomes a life and death type of thing, right? Family, particularly in the ancient world, is a life and death commitment to a group of people. Right, And so I reckon we've got to push these metaphors together and say, no, come on, we're the family of God, we're the army of God, and we've got this. It's about the group of people that we're committed to, but it's also about the objectives that we've got. And these two tensions are at play in the body of Christ in the church all of the time. And so some people would say, oh, no, come on, we've just got to look after each other and, and cheer each other up and build each other up, right? And then people like me say, oh, stuff that, we've just got to get something done, right? That's why you don't have a church with one leader, right? Because you'll get one thing or the other, right? But as a multiplicity of gifts at work, right, we can bring these things like the army and the family get pushed together as we all function. Do you know you can function in church with or without position? Do you know you also cannot function in church with or without position? So I'm positioned as the senior pastor of this church, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm functioning in the gifts of God, right? No one else in this church is positioned as the senior pastor, right? But it, but it doesn't mean no, no one else in this church is functioning in gift. The goal of Equipus Church is that every single person who's part of the church begins to understand the gifts that God's put within them, whatever they are, and that they begin to function in them for the benefit of the church. Now, here's, this, here's the thing. Your gifts are for the benefit of the church primarily, the body of Christ, the house of God. Right, But here's the deal. You can't benefit the church without benefiting the world because the church is this meshing of army and family. Right, If we grow the army of God, the objective is going to be achieved. Right? Even, so even though your, your focus might be particularly outside of church, hey, we've got to do something about X, Y, or Z in the world. Right, We've got to do something for kids. We've got to do something for teenagers. We've got to do something... Right? Or your focus might be in church. Hey, we've got to do something for the people in church. We've got to grow. We've got to look after each other. Those two focuses have got to come together. And that, oh, we can only push these ideas together as we all function. Do you, get, do you see the magic in it? If we all function, then God begins to reveal himself powerfully in us. We've got to learn to work as team. Everyone say team. Because there was no competitive sports other than actually fighting and killing people in the ancient world, Paul never used the metaphor of team. But if he was alive today, he would have, because he used athletic metaphors, but they were all individual athletes, right? But team is such a powerful metaphor, because it's family and army. There's this fighting and competitive edge, but there's also this, come on, we're brothers. If you, uh, one of the best teammates in the world, one of the best team players in the world, TJ Peranara, if you follow his Instagram, He's constantly posting pictures of him in the team and talking about team. Come on, we're the brothers. Come on, let's do this. There's this. No, that was someone else. But there's this, there's this sense. He says, let's go. He says, let's go. But uh, let's do this as another team. Which we Anyway, have a look at Romans 12. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 12. This idea of body that, we, that unless we're all functioning, we're not, we're not all functioning. How many of you know you only need a tiny part of your body to not be functioning for all of your body to be a bit of, in a bit of a problem, right? In fact, some of the smallest, the, some of the, the invisible parts of your body, the secret parts of your body, the parts of your body you don't even know the names of, are the parts of your body that are keeping you alive right now, right? Or keeping you healthy right now. The reality is we need, all of us need each other. We don't just, I don't just need you, I need you to function,
for me to fulfill my function, I literally can't do it without you fulfilling your function. That's the metaphor of the body of Christ, right? If, 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 if your arm, like if you have an arm, everyone wave it. If you've got an arm, wave it. If you've got one at least, wave it, right? If, you're, if your head, which is Christ, tells your arm to pick up the lectern, right? How many of you know you, you, your arm can't actually do anything by itself? How can your arm pick up a lectern? Okay, it's going to work. Right? But right now my back and my shoulder and my legs are doing stuff as well, right? The reality is each indiv- the individual parts of the body are very, very limited. Very, very limited. Break your body into all of its parts. Nothing will work. Right? But it's the combination. It's that working together. That's the power of being part of the body of Christ, right? Do you know, immediately after 1 Corinthians 12 is what? 1 Corinthians 13. Why? Because, come on, all of our expression of gifts have got to be done in a spirit of love. If you haven't read, if you haven't heard 1 Corinthians 13, you haven't been to enough weddings, right? But come on, let's try it. Lovers, lovers, we'll leave it at that because you didn't know oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. The, <laughs> come on, love, it's this description of agape love, this unconditional commitment, relational love, right? Why would that be there immediately after a description of the gifts and immediately before Paul goes into 1 Corinthians 14, which is an ongoing exposition of some particular gifts? Why? Because if our motivations are not love, then our gifts, literally our gifts don't function. They don't produce what they need to produce, right? So if we have a gift of knowledge, a word of knowledge, where we can know the right thing to do, right? How How many people... Reckon that's quite a useful gift. I can know the right thing. I can know the, the answer to the question. Right? Anyone got a friend who knows the answer? Actually, they do know the answer to the question. How many of you know that when someone knows the answer to the question, the less love they have, <laughs> the, the less you want to be around them, and the less likely you are to agree with it, that's the right answer. Right? <laughs> Right, because love doesn't actually love doesn't actually just make the gifts palatable, right? Love makes the gifts actually work, right? They make it possible for them to be received, right? And it's that that, that love is not the, the love. The Ephesians chapter thirteen is not written. Paul wasn't thinking of a wedding when he wrote that. He was thinking of the function of the church. If the church can function with love as its motivation, right? at least as, have an aspiration to function, and love is the motivation, those gifts begin to work, okay? So point number one was if you've got a gift, give it and give it heaps. Point number two, it's all about function and flow, not position or power, right? Uh, number three is this. First Corinthians, we'll read the scripture first. First Corinthians 12, uh, 29 and 21. 29 to 31, sorry, it might be a bit more useful. This is Paul says, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? So just so you know, when Paul wrote his letters, no one read them quietly to themselves. So this is how Paul worked. He wasn't, Paul wasn't a theologian. He was a church builder. He, he was only focused on the development of Christian communities. That was all he was doing. He wasn't trying to develop a theology. He was focused on Christian communities. 
And so he would always visit them and preach. So most, almost, most of what Paul taught, we don't actually know because it was live and uninterrupted. It was Paul. And when he went there and did it, we know that he, w- he was serious about it. There's a story in Acts where he preached at a house till midnight. And then a kid who was sitting in the window upstairs of the house, he fell out of the window and died. So Paul goes downstairs, raises him back to life. And then they carried on with the service until morning, right? So he wasn't joking around when it came to teaching people. He was into it, right? When Paul says, come on, if your gift is to teach, do it with everything you've got. When he did it all night long. Even if someone died, it didn't interrupt his flow, right? Right? But this scripture, this First Corinthians, when it was written down, it would be, he would have given it to Timothy or Titus or one of his mates, and they would have taken it to the church, and you know, they would have performed it. They would stand up and they would deliver it because they were orators. They're Greek thinking orators, right? And they would deliver it. And so you could have got to mention it. Are we all apostles? Right? This, what's that? That's just rhetoric, ultimate rhetoric. The answer is no, we're not. We're not all the same thing, right? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Why would God give us all the same abilities? Right? Moving on. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Full stop. So some gifts are more helpful than other gifts. We know from the same writings that all of these gifts come from God. But what makes a gift more helpful than another gift? Does anyone have a toolbox at home? Got a big toolbox. Open it up. Just got the one screwdriver in there. Not particularly helpful. Unless that's the one tool that you need. So what's helpful, what spiritual gifts are helpful? We've got to earnestly desire to be helpful in our administration of spiritual gifts, right? It's, it's always about what's needed, right? So when we think about expressing the love of God and the power of God in our world around us, why don't we do what's needed? Right? Or we could just, well, I'm just a hammer. Well, good for you, right? But, but if you just do that, half the time you'll be helpful. The other half the time, you're going to be smashing stuff that other people have to fix, right? So when, you, when a hammer's not needed, do you know what you could do? You could be quiet. Do you know there's a reason I don't preach every single Sunday? Because a hammer's not always the thing that's needed, right? Sometimes someone else needs to speak because a different tool is what required. Something else is more useful, right? And I, when I'm not here, I'm preaching somewhere else, right? And they don't have me there. The other places, I, they get me once a year, right? And they, they're like, that's enough. <laughs> right? But the reality, come on, what's the most helpful thing? Come on, when we're interacting with people, are we thinking about what does this person need from God? What can I bring from God to this person? Do they need mercy? Do they need a word of wisdom? Because these are gifts from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. These are gifts that we can access and be helpful, right? So point number three is you've got to desire the most helpful gifts. So then he goes into, launches into First Corinthians 13. Come on, love's our motivator. When love's our motivator, that's going to push us to be useful. 
that we'd be useful. We'd exercise the gifts of God in our life to be useful, right? Everyone say, I want to be useful. Say it like you mean it. I want to be useful. Okay, so love's got to motivate us if we're going to be useful. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul launches into a long discussion about two of the gifts. It's a long discussion, so I'm not going to read you the whole thing, right? You can do that in your own time. And I'll just summarize it for you. He's, he's talking about, he's comparing, he's contrasting, he's pushing these two ideas together of, first of all, prophecy and speaking in tongues, right? That's why prophecy and speaking in tongues are things that happen a lot in church because when Paul says you've got to desire the most useful gifts, you've got to be motivated by love, and then he starts talking about prophecy in tongues because he's pointing to the fact that these are very useful gifts. Because how often do we need to really have God's perspective on a situation? Well, pretty how often? Pretty much all the time. What does prophecy look like? Well, I've explained this before. You need to grow your beard very long if you're going to be a prophet. You need to, it's better if you're taller and more imposing. Uh, if you can wear a camel skin, that's the next level. And you do need to carry a heavy stick. Otherwise, people will just don't believe you, right? And march around town and then mostly say negative things about earthquakes and storms that are going to destroy people, right? That's the, that's the weird, that's not prophecy, right? You can do all those things and still prophesy, but those things aren't prophecy. Prophecy is where we bring God's picture of God's future to somebody. Or we speak to somebody about God's perspective on their current situation. And the focus of prophecy is to give people that lift in perspective. It was really funny. Last, last week we had a hole in our stage. Who was here last week? We had one of the stage units was missing. And nobody noticed until I stepped into it for a joke. Well, because you can't see it from there. But did you know, yeah, did you, know you, you, you probably only have to be two feet higher up and you would have seen it. That's what prophecy does. It just lifts us a little higher to see a bit of perspective. And we, so we need to hear that soft. We need to hear that word from somebody else where they speak. Come on, I've got a friend and, and stuff's gone wrong in his life. And you know what I keep saying to him? I feel like it's a word from God. I just keep saying, you'll bounce back. You'll bounce back. And he texts me and I text him back. You'll bounce back. I say on the phone, yeah, you'll bounce back. Why? Because I believe he needs to hear that from God because he can't see that. He can't see the hole in the stage. He can't see that he'll bounce back from where he's currently sitting. He's crowded out with disappointments, right? And prophecy just lifts us. So how many of that that's a useful thing. So prophecy is useful, right? Because it builds other people up, right? It builds other people up. So we've got to look, think, how do I do this? What does it look like? How do I prophesy? What might God be saying to somebody? Do you know, I'm, I, for me, when I know that somebody needs to hear from God, do you know what I say? I say this, I say, well, do you know what I reckon? And then I wait. And then I just start talking. And I trust that God's going to give me words to say they're going to lift that person. Do you know, sometimes it's prophetic. And sometimes it's sort of rambly and waffly and we go on with our coffee. Right? But my, as long as my motivation is love for the other person, do you know what? It never comes across weird, right? And that can be in, in a work situation. I can bring a bit of God perspective to it, you know? That's a powerful gift when we can do that, when we can allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Now, how do we do it? We do it as much as we've got faith for. Well, I've only got faith for a little bit. Do you know what? Just a little bit, just a little bit. Oh, you'll bounce back. That's a little prophecy, Right? Because, you know, how bad is it if that's not really a word from God? 
It's not going to hurt anybody for them to think, oh, I'll bounce back. You know, right? So there's not much faith in that, right? But then you look at, say, someone like uh, Dr. Michael Maiden, when he's prophesying over people, he's like, you know, 14 years ago, your sister-in-law said X, Y, and Z. You know, all the, you know, why? Because he's grown his faith around prophecy. Does he get those things right all the time? I guarantee no, right? But he's speaking out in faith, right? And it brings lift for people who are sometimes stuck in really difficult situations, right? So we've got a little bit, let's do it a little bit, right? Do you know what? You, do you know everyone in this room? You've got enough faith to do it a little bit. You've got enough faith to be, to be a prophetic blessing to the people in your world. Look at the person next to you and say, you've got a little bit of faith. You've got a little bit of faith, right? You've got a little bit, which is enough faith. The Bible says a little bit of faith is enough faith to move mountains, right? A little bit of faith is enough faith to grow into something that dominates the environment, that mustard seed that grows into a big plant, right? You with me? So why is tongues useful? Tongues is useful because it builds others up. No, prophecy is useful because it builds others up. And then the, the gift of tongues is useful, right? Why is the gift of speaking in tongues useful? It's not, if I speak in tongues, you know, it's not useful to you at all, right? It's just nonsense, you know? Matthias asked me at the prayer meeting a few weeks ago, were you praying in Italian? I was like, I may have been, Right? But when I pray in tongues, the Bible says, and what it does is it gets around my mind. How many people know that it actually your mind is limiting what you believe for most of the time? Right? Is that a big, bad, nasty thing? No, it's not. But we have the gift of tongues that allows us to get around our mindset and to focus in on Jesus. I find for myself, if I pray in tongues for about two minutes a day, it transforms my whole perspective on that day. Right? Literally, sometimes you have to just pray in tongues for 30 seconds. I was on a plane once four years ago in that big storm. We were supposed to be going to Dunedin from Christchurch, but they, all the flights were canceled. I ended up getting the last plane to Palmas North, right? And then I was going to rent a car and drive to Wellington. That was my way of getting home for the weekend. It was a bit exciting, but I got on the plane in Christchurch next to an old apostolic pastor from Tomaranui. I forget his name, but he's now an Anglican minister in the Maori church. He's awesome dude and we were chatting away talking about mutual friends and hey, he was an awesome dude and uh we were flying into palmas north it was like <laughs> it was like that the whole way but there's this one particular point coming into land where it felt literally the plane just dropped you know and everyone's like people everyone's screaming and he grabbed my arm and he goes wow he goes it's enough to make you bust out in tongues <laughs> i was like bro you do it i'll be with you bro i'll be with you <laughs> I said, at least you'll feel better. It might make others uncomfortable, right? But sometimes that's just what you need to do. You just got to bust out in tongues. Sometimes you've just got to say the things you don't know what you're saying to get that thing out of you. Sometimes you're that angry. Sometimes you're that frustrated. Sometimes you're that flat. You've just got to bust out in tongues and allow your spirit to come alive, right? Why? Because your flesh and your mind has been dominated by all, all your life for 20 hours a day, for 24 hours a day. You're thinking about this. You're doing that. You're watching Netflix. You're talking to people at work. And just for two minutes could our spirit come alive in our own world. Do it in your own time. Why? Because everyone knows it's not helpful for anybody else. Right. We pray in tongues in our prayer meetings sometimes, but it's more about individually engaging our spirits in what God's doing. Why is prophecy helpful? Because it helps other people. It blesses them. Why is tongues helpful? Because not everyone's going to give you a prophecy every day. 
Sometimes you're just going to see a lift in your own world, right? Where we actually speak in tongues and speak into our spirit. Paul said this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But if I'm gathered with you, I'd rather say three intelligible words than speak in tongues to you. Right? That's why I don't preach in tongues for half an hour. Well, I'd feel great at the end of that. But better for me to say three intelligible words that are going to lift others than just speak in tongues, right? But why are they both helpful? Because they build us up. They make us strong. We can be a blessing to each other. We can allow the Holy Spirit to bless us by speaking in tongues, right? Everyone say amen. That was 1 Corinthians 14. Is that all right? Not too bad. Not too bad. How you going? Sorry. Okay. A good a good chef a good chef when they're making something like a meal, right? So when I'm making a meal, a great meal, it's steak and chips and eggs. Right? That is a fantastic meal, right? But people don't pay huge amounts of money to eat that meal. What do people pay a lot of money to eat? They pay for, for a meal where there's, it might still be steak, chips, and eggs, but it's put together in a certain way. Right? There's a combination of flavors that are a bit different than the steak, chips, and eggs that I cook, right? Right? The, the steak's been aged and it's been developed. And it's been seasoned. Like I have salt and pepper, Right? Sometimes I forget to use them. I'm like, that's a bit bland. <laughs> Have anybody eaten a meal? Like, this is just honesty time. I'm looking to you, Pudgy, to help me out here. You're eating a meal, and you're like, man, this needs salt, but it's way over there in the kitchen. <laughs> Have you done that? Just eat the whole bland food. Anyone else? Ah, I'm not good enough to get salt. I'm in the middle of eating. <laughs> Something in me doesn't like, it's that dog in me that's like, I've got to eat it before someone else gets it. <laughs> Even though I'm bigger than all the other people in my family, I eat most of their food anyway. But gifts are the gifts are the same. Like the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are in us for other people, you can't just bash them out. Shape chips and eggs. Well, you can, right? That'll that'll be able. Still, still good tucker. It'll get you going, right? But the thing that might change someone's life is the the thing that across our life that we that, that God seasons things in us through hard times. We grow in a maturity as we work the gifts, right? And I think there's going to be a combination of flavors. And it's sometimes, here's the thing about the gifts. They actually need just a little bit of fruit to make them palatable. Just a little bit of fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, it says that the Holy Spirit, when we live according to the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23, when the Holy Spirit's at work within us, yes, we've got these gifts, but it also produces this kind of fruit in our lives. How do people know that? How, how quick is it to get a gift under a tree? Wrap it up. So do you know all the gifts of God, they get put under our tree. There we are. There you go. There's the gifts. So we begin to function. From the moment we're a Christian, we begin to function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How do you know that fruit doesn't happen like that? You can plant a f- fruit tree in the yard. You're not going to get fruit. You just have a fruit tree until Alistair runs over it with a lawnmower. Right? Fruit trees take time. 
And fruit tree, how many of the fruit, fruits produced over time? As the tree gets strong and gets healthy, this fruit's produced. If the soil is managed, if things are right. And that's what the Holy Spirit produces. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things, right? So you can do prophesying and miracles and healings. But it's not a, none of those things are great without love and joy and peace and goodness. Because and, a, a Christmas tree, the gifts under the Christmas tree tell you nothing about the tree. When you see a Christmas tree with lots of gifts, you don't think, wow, that must be a great tree. That tree, I tell you what, that tree has produced a phenomenal number of gifts. Where did we buy that Christmas tree? We need to get that Christmas tree again because look how many gifts there are. Right, so the gifts that you have in your life, they don't tell me anything about you. They just tell me you know how to exercise faith because when you do something phenomenal in the Holy Spirit, that just tells me how good God is. Right? But when you've got the gifts of God work and you deliver those gifts with love, joy, peace, patience, that tells me that you've got God at work in your life and He's also producing health in your spirit, health in who you are as a person. Right? So when we think about, hey, we've got this task, we've got a life and death commitment to the task of God, that's who we are as the church, and we've got a life and death commitment to each other as the family of God. We need the gifts of God in operation, but we... That's going to just, we're all just going to annoy each other unless we're also growing and maturing and the fruit of God is at work in us. Do you get the picture? It's the fruit that makes the gifts palatable. Like it's like, it sweetens it up a little bit. Imagine my gifts are gifts of encouragement. My gift is a gift of encouragement. Have you noticed that? Hopefully, I want to see people step up. I want to see people go further. The the more fruit I have, the more the fruit of God, the Holy Spirit, is in me. Do you know, I'm more inclined to actually express my gift. Sometimes you think you don't have gifts, but do you know what you don't have? Fruit. Oh, I don't really want, I just don't feel like I should prophesy. It doesn't mean you don't have the gift of prophecy. It just might mean you're lacking love. Because if you loved people more, your gift to prophesy would jump out and help people. Right? Oh, I just don't really feel like speaking in tongues. Or maybe you're just lacking patience. Maybe there's no joy in your world. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I you know, I know there's a prayer meeting at 9 o'clock. I just don't want to go. Well, maybe you actually need to go and say, I'm going to go because I need to be in Holy Spirit environments more because I need love and joy and peace and patience. I need these things growing in me, so I've got to position myself in the Holy Spirit, which brings us back to speaking in tongues. Come on, it's a helpful gift because it positions us and connects us in the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be anywhere great if we don't develop the, Holy, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be anywhere. We're not going to be anywhere we want to be if we don't grow the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need God's presence at work in our world. That's why we read our Bibles, right? Do you know, you don't read your Bible to understand theology. It actually won't help you much. Like it's just confusing. If you want to understand theology, you actually have to read theologians. Do you know what the Bible does? The Bible connects us with the Holy Spirit. 
It's full of theology, right? But it's not designed to be a theological text. Theological. It's designed to just empower you. The Word of God just empowers you as we read it, believe it, receive it. So, and that's why we pray. Most of us pray, we, most of our prayer, our, our big prayer times are where we have big needs, right? Makes sense, right? But prayer is not primarily for getting needs met. Prayer is to build relationship with Holy Spirit. That's what prayer is for, it's to re, for us to relate with God, to commune with God. Why? So that our life is transformed by His presence with us. Amen. Why don't you jump to your feet, musicians? Why don't you jump up? We're just going to sing a song just to finish. But before we do that, it, it all, the whole, all of the walk of God, all of the work of God, all of the plan of God comes back to Jesus. We, we're, every single Sunday, whatever we're preaching about, whether it's whether we're preaching about money or we're preaching about marriage or we're preaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're really only preaching about Jesus. Because we know who's Jesus, Jesus is. No, that's right. I think it's just the aerials, maybe. That was a mild one. We had some big ones already this morning. We had one in the prayer meeting that nearly killed someone. <laughs> it took me quite a few minutes to calm down afterwards. It's all about Jesus. God Himself comes into the world and dies in our place to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can have relationship with Him. He's risen again. He's conquered sin. He conquers death. Right? And then the Holy Spirit is sent so we can relate with God. The Bible talks about how we cry out to God. As we're baptized, we cry out to God, Abba, Father. God become, We relate with God in, a, in an intimate way because of who Jesus is. Because of Jesus, we can be filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can make a difference in the world. Because of Jesus, we can grow the fruit. Love, joy, peace. You don't grow those things by trying harder. I'm going to try harder to be patient. I'm going to try really hard to be patient. We shouldn't try harder those things. But it's actually God at work with us that's going to transform us. Amen? And we don't have God at work with us until we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. So this morning, just why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. And perhaps here, and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus and say, yeah, I'm going to make Him my Lord. I'm going to identify with His sacrifice and with His resurrection so that the life of Christ, this Jesus, this life-giving Spirit would be at work within me. If you're here and maybe you've never made that decision before to acknowledge Him, or perhaps you've made that decision in the past, but for whatever reason, perhaps you're here this morning and you're far away from God. Could I encourage you to recommit and rededicate your life to Jesus this morning? Or if you've never made that decision, could I encourage you to do that this morning? Just while everyone has their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you're here and never made that decision, why don't you just lift your hand and give me a wave and say, yeah, I want to make that decision this morning to acknowledge Jesus. I need His Spirit at work in my life. I haven't seen anybody's hand, but... If you just lift your hand and say, that's my decision this morning to acknowledge Jesus. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down and then we're all going to pray. Awesome. Just for one minute, why don't you lift your hands right across this room. Can I invite you to do that? There's treasure in you. God's put treasure in you. When the Bible talks about the gifts, He's talking about you. 
gifts of miracles and gifts of faith and gifts of healing, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, insight, understanding, understanding in the spiritual realm. You are the sort of people, we are the sort of people who usher the realities of the kingdom of heaven into the, into the realities of the earth. Not by our own might, not by our own strength, but by the Spirit of God. Just as you have your hands lifted, I've been praying this week that the Holy Spirit would anoint us again. Like last week, we prayed and anointed people with oil as a symbol. But I'm praying that every single time we gather, we're gathering in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And right now, I'm just praying for the Holy Spirit to be released across this room. Come on, where do you, where do you need Him in your world? Are you saying, Holy Spirit, I need to develop, I need to grow some more fruit? Come on, just pray a prayer along those lines. Holy Spirit, I need you in my world. Maybe if you speak in tongues, you just want to speak in tongues for a few minutes now and say, Holy Spirit, just engage with Him. Say, I need you in my world. We need you, Holy Spirit. We want you to work in our lives. There's somebody here and you've actually found yourself over recent times saying things in the workplace and, you, and, and people are like, oh yeah, awesome. And you're just like, wow, where did that come from? I just, I just, really, I just really believe we're going to start saying things and there's going to be like, oh, where did that come from? I, I want to tell you, where did that come from? That's the Word of God in that situation. Oh, where did that come from? I can remember when I was a school teacher and like I was like 22 and parents were asking me for advice about parenting their kids. And I was just saying stuff. And they're like, oh, that was really helpful. I was just like, wow, that's good. Because when you, you just know this about your teachers, they don't know anything about parenting. But come on, where did that come from? Holy Spirit, come on, just reach out one more time. Holy Spirit, anoint us, we pray. Lord, help us to be a massive blessing to every other Christian that we meet, everyone in our own church. Lord God, that we'd bring the gifts that within us. Lord God, we commit ourselves to bringing those gifts, Lord God, for the benefit and growth of the body of Christ. Lord God, that we'd bless other Christians. We'd bless the household of faith. Lord God, in, the, in, in our work and family environments, Lord God, people who we, maybe we don't know where, where they are in relationship to you, Lord God, but that we'd still have a freedom to speak in a way that ushers your blessing into that situation, ushers your grace into that situation. Lord God, we ask for it. We commit ourselves to opening our mouth. Lord God, we pray and I know that God asking you to fulfill, fill our mouths with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, amen. Awesome. Very, very cool. Well, we, st we were ahead of schedule and we're not anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to enjoy some morning tea. Is that cool? Uh, stay, hang around and chat. Just, just a reminder that the DNA course, you can register for it. If you go to the Equipers Church Facebook page, you should be able to find a link this week. Or well, it's up there already. We can register for the course. There's only 20 spots, and I think we're more than half full, or around half full now. Um, so it'll be on the 22nd, there'll be lunch, and then uh, Jono's talking all through who we are as a church, where we're going, what we're doing. Um, so you can sign up online using the tablets at the table or do that in your own time as well. Very good. Give someone a high five and let's enjoy some morning tea together.